0: Father, we thank you because you're so kind to us. You're so kind to us that we are always tempted to focus on our stuff because you've blessed us with so much. There is so much that we have. There is so much to do. We live in a nation of prosperity And we live in a nation of forgetfulness, where instead of being grateful to our God and responsive and loving you back, we instead forget what the source is of our blessing. And we ask that you would remind us and that you would help us, dear God, to think rightly about life, and uh, our future, and uh, eternity. We thank you for giving us your word, and we would ask that you would accompany us, because you have to be the teacher, the preacher, the speaker. You have to take your word and apply it to our hearts. You have to give us understanding. You have to convict us that we may be inclined to obey. And so we depend totally on you, and we look forward only to what you will do in our hearts and minds, in our souls and spirits. And so we say, dear God, fill us and have your way by the power of your Spirit. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we have been studying Acts chapter 10, and we have been looking in particular at an incident in the life of this guy by the name of Peter. This is an important story because it's much like our story. In Acts chapter 10, God commands Peter to do something that Peter is very uncomfortable with. God says, Peter, there is something I want you to do. And Peter's response back to God is, I am totally uncomfortable with that. God's response to Peter was, Peter, I want you to do what I've commanded you to do. And Peter's response back to God was God, I've never been that person and I don't want to be. What is it that God was asking Peter to do? He was asking Peter to share his faith with people that Peter did not want to share his faith with. It was very uncomfortable. It was something that Peter was having a lot of trouble coming to terms with. Peter finds himself in a very difficult position. And the position was this. He has to make a decision between, Am I? going to be comfortable or am I going to be obedient to God? That's the position he's in. I can't do both. I can be comfortable, but in order to be comfortable, I have to totally ignore the command of God to share my faith with people I don't want to share my faith with. I don't want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. I don't want to do it. Um, Peter makes the right decision, ultimately. And the decision that Peter makes is this. I've never been that person. I don't want to be that person. But this is what God commands me to do. And in order for him to be Lord, truly Lord, it means I have to give in. It means I have to obey. It means I have to be very uncomfortable. And I just want to ask you if you have made your decision yet that Christ is going to be Lord even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it means that you have to do what you don't want to do. And the chief thing that Christ had called us to do. He left the Great Commission. He said that "You are now in my absence, to go into all the world and you're to proclaim the gospel, and you're to make disciples." Very uncomfortable for a lot of the people of God, because a lot of people don't want to hear the gospel. It's uncomfortable because. There's some good things that we have in motion that we're trying to pursue, whether it's trying to do a business, whether it's trying to get our education, whether it's trying to keep our career on track, get a promotion, be in relationships, have a, a larger friendship circle, a good network group. Sharing the gospel can interfere with all of that. And so a lot of God's people just ignore it and say, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, just not think about that. I'm not going to really deal with that. Here's what I'm going to deal with. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not going out and getting drunk. And I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And I'm just going to call it good. And God says, yes, I applaud the fact that you're not sleeping around and going out and getting drunk and getting high and... You don't curse anymore and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I need more than what you don't do. The other side of it is I need you to do what I commanded you to do. Don't just give me your list of what you don't do. You got to grow that list of what you do do. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 10. Peter's very uncomfortable, but he makes a decision. I'm just going to have to be uncomfortable. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and I'm going to go into the home of a Gentile, and I am going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Gentile people, and that was never before on my radar, but that's what I'm going to do. That's what happens in Acts chapter 10. And that's what's going to happen in your life if you are obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of what Jesus said Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If if, if you're following me, if you're living for me, if you're being obedient to me, here's what's going to happen. You're going to become a fisher of men. That's what's going to happen. And so I can tell you that there are a lot of folks who are not following Christ. He is not Lord they are not submitting to His lordship. He's not Lord. But on the day of judgment, people are going to be saying, "Lord, Lord." And he's going to say to them, "I never knew you." That weren't you. Like now nah, we were never in that kind of a relationship. Um, you never got there. (laughs) You never made me Lord. And that's the only relationship that I'm willing to have is I'm Lord. You never got there. There was always something that was more important than me, like your comfort, your ambitions, your desire to have the approval of people. All of those things were always more important than I ever was. So here's what the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 29. And I pause to remind you, because um, this is something that affects our relationship with Christ and the quality of our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 29, it says this, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. And so, yes, we are to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God says, but it goes deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It gets better than that. Not only to believe on him, but check this out, but also to suffer for his sake. And so we have been called to be people of faith, to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you in the same sentence, in the same breath, the Bible says that we're called to be people of suffering. Did you know that? Did you know that when you're submitting to his lordship, that you're submitting to his suffering, that you're saying to him, I will suffer on your behalf. Did you know that one of the things that I had the good fortune of doing was signing up for the military. I signed up for the United States Navy and I served honorably for six years. But when I signed up, I stood there on that day and they said to me, raise your right hand and repeat after me I, and that's that state, your name. And basically, everything that followed after that was this. You're giving up all your rights, and you're pledging that you're going to put the nation above yourself, that you're going to defend the Constitution of the United States, and you are giving up every right that you have as a human being And we can send you to die today if we want to. And you have to raise your right hand and you have to swear allegiance to the United States of America up to and including your physical death and do you think they're kidding no they put you on a plane and they ship you off to boot camp and you go through horrendous suffering why because they want to weed out the ones who are not committed boot camp is is like eight weeks of hell or depending on what branch of service you're in And it's because they want to strengthen those who are weak, and it's because they want to screen out those who are not committed. And so when you are signing up for the military, it's not like you're going on a cruise ship. Nope, it's a battleship. It's not like you're coming out here to see the world. You're going to see the world, and the world is going to see you but it is going to be with a purpose, and that is that we are here to defend the United States of America. There are a lot of people who are signing up with the one who died on the cross, and they're thinking that this is just a bed of roses and that I'm just going along for an adventure. Oh, no. You're signing up with the cross bearer, the one who gave his life for the sins of the world. That's what it's about. And so the Bible reminds us that for you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so here you are in the kingdom of God, and you're saying, I don't want want to suffer. And you're saying, in fact, I am not willing to suffer. I will not suffer. I will avoid the hard stuff. I'm not going to live on less so I can tithe. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to interrupt my network by trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who is my friend or somebody I want to date or somebody who is a coworker, I'm not going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person I know is lost because I don't want the suffering. I don't want the loss. I am not going to be signing up for some job at church because that too is suffering if I'm going to do a good job of it. I'm just not going to suffer. I'm in the kingdom, but it's just going to be a bed of roses all the way to heaven. I'm going to say my prayers, have my devotions. I'm going to stay away from sin. And bed of roses all the way to heaven. And God says, not going to happen. So the Great Commission says this. The Great Commission says, you are my disciple, and your job is to make more disciples. That's my will for you, and everybody knows it. And so it's not like we are confused about what we're doing here and why God has left us here, because knowing that we're saved, he could just take us straight to heaven. He's, he's waiting for us to come home. He misses us. He wants us to be with him. And that's why the Bible says in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's looking forward to the day you die. He's looking forward to the day you come home. But why are you here? Because you're my disciple, and you're in my kingdom. I'm the king, I'm the master, you're the slave, and your job is you're going to make disciples. That's your primary mission here. And uh, we say, well, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to do the easy stuff like... Invite people to a church picnic. Doesn't get any easier than that. And we just say, you know what? That evangelism thing, I'm just going to ignore it. just going to pretend like God's not even serious about that. And that way, I get the best of both worlds. I get to go to heaven. I get the blessing of God. And... I also get loved on by people because I'm not turning anybody off by trying to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we got to figure it out. We know how to play this thing. And here's what God says I'm not going to let you play me. You want to avoid suffering, right? <laughs> not going to happen. Do you know what the Bible says? In Luke 12, 47, the Bible says, The one who knew his Lord's will but did not prepare himself or do his Lord's will will be beaten with many stripes. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says this, If you know that is my will and you just totally ignore me and just totally like talk to the hand, not to the face, if you just totally disrespect God and just disregard his will for you to be a disciple-maker, God says, The one who knew his Lord's will but did not prepare himself or do his master's will will be beaten with many stripes. So what does that mean? What that means is this. It means that you can obey the will of God, and you can be a disciple-maker, and yep, you're going to do some suffering if you're a disciple-maker because you'll turn people off. You will offend people. And so you can suffer by being a disciple-maker or you can suffer by being a disobedient servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. One way or the other, there's going to be some suffering. And so, the only question that I have to answer, and the only question that you have to deal with, is this Do I want to be suffering because I'm an offense to the world, or do I want to be suffering because I'm an offense to God? You've got to pick one or the other and so for most people their answer is you know what i'd rather offend god than to offend these people a lot of them don't know my name a lot of them don't care about me none of them loves me the way god does but i'd rather please them than to please god so I'm gonna please people. That way there weren't many suffering. God says, you're not gonna play me. You're not gonna play me. People who try to ignore God, there's always something that's happening in their lives. There's always something that is disrupting their joy, their peace of mind, their tranquility, their certainty about the future their relationship with God people who who are children of God but they're not willing to obey they're always getting disciplined even when things work out for them it's just something that is setting them up for disappointment They get to the top of the hill just to fall back down. They get the blessing just for it to turn into a curse. They get the job just for the job to become a taskmaster. They get the relationship they wanted just to watch it go sour. I study Christians, and of course you see it in the Word of God, for people who call themselves believers, they call themselves Christians, but they're trying to ignore God, they don't want to be on mission, they don't want to be obedient, it's just thing after thing that just keeps happening. Better go back and read the book of Jonah. It wasn't that Jonah was out getting drunk. That's not the problem God had with Jonah. It wasn't that Jonah was sleeping around with somebody who wasn't his spouse. That's not the problem that God had with Jonah. It wasn't that Jonah was not in ministry. He was in ministry, he was a prophet, he was a known prophet. The problem that God had with Jonah is that Jonah did not want to share the gospel with people that Jonah did not want to talk to. And so Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the belly of the ship, down into the depths of the ocean, down into the belly of the well. And it's just a story of a downward, downward, downward trend as God is saying to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I'm not going to make you share your faith, but I sure will incentivize you strongly to share your faith. Are you going to suffer? Oh, yeah. You just got to figure out where you want the suffering to come from. Let's say, let me do the math on that one. If my boss is the cause of my suffering, I can get another job. If it's people, I can stop dealing with these people. But if God is the cause of my suffering where am i going to run from god that's what the story of Joni is about where do you run from god there's nowhere to go yeah there's going to be suffering and so we are called to share the gospel According to Luke chapter 12, we're called to prepare ourselves to do the Lord's will. And that's why we're talking about Acts chapter 10. Because in Acts chapter 10, the Bible tells us what we need to say to people when we're sharing the gospel with them. So what do you say when you're sharing the gospel? Some of you have written down 10 things to say to people when we're sharing the gospel, there are 10 things that people need to know. And I get it. Like, why can't there just be one or two? I don't know. All I know is that there are 10. So, the first thing that people need to know is that anybody can be saved. You're not so good that you don't need to be saved. You're not so bad that you can't be saved. You're not so old, you haven't waited so long that you can't be saved. The Bible says that God is not partial, that anybody who comes to him, they can be saved. Isn't that good to know that I can be saved, that I can be forgiven, that my sins can be washed away? That's a good thing to know. People need to know that. The second thing is this, that repentance is required. You don't get to come into the kingdom of God dragging your sin behind you. You have to turn your back on all your sin, and you turn to God in obedience. And that's what the Bible says, that the one who comes to him and does what is right is welcome. That we have to be willing to turn from our sin. And that third thing that we talked about is is that peace with God comes only through Jesus Christ. That we're born as the enemies of God. And that's what the Bible talks about. In fact, in John chapter 8, it says that lost people are the children of the devil. That we are an opposing kingdom. We are at war with God. And that peace with God, where we can have a relationship with him, comes only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You mean I can't work hard enough to have peace with God? I can't be religious enough? I can't do enough right things? Nope. Nope. None of that is enough. The only way that we can have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who died and paid for our sin. He's the only one who could have because he's the only one who lived who was God. Nobody else is valuable enough to pay for the sins of the world. We talked about number four, Christ is God, that he is Lord of all. And so you have to be willing to believe more than that Christ is a human being, that he is a man. You have to recognize that he is God, the Son. Not just an angel, not just a prophet, not just a good man. He's God. We have to be willing to believe that. If he's not God, he's not worthy enough to pay for the sins of the world. So today we talk about number five. And number five talks about his humanity. And so I would invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10 and verse number 39. And uh, we're going to include verses 37 and 38. Here's what Peter is saying to these people. Acts chapter 10, verse number 37, he says, You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed, In verse number 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then verse number 39, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Thank you for standing with me to honor the reading of the words of our great God and King. And so Peter is talking to these Gentiles. He is there in their home, and he is sharing the gospel with them. And this fifth thing that he wants to share with them is the humanity of Jesus Christ. Why is it necessary for us to believe that Jesus Christ was a human being, that he was fully man, though he was fully God? The reason that we have to believe that Jesus Christ was a man is because we have to believe that he lived a life in our place. That when he lived a perfect life, that was him living a perfect life in your place. We have to believe that he's fully man because it was a man who turned over control of this world to the devil. And so only a man could regain that standing with God that humanity lost. He had to be not just God, he had to be a fully human person that could live in our place and die in our place. As the battle was lost by a man The battle, the victory had to be regained by a man. It was a man who introduced sin into the world, and so a man has to deal with the sin issue. But Jesus Christ was fully human. And he talks about all the things that happened throughout all Judea. In other words, throughout all the land of the Jews. He talks about starting from Galilee, And that's where his public ministry, where where much of it took place, was there in Galilee. He talks about after the baptism, which John proclaimed, it was after John's baptism that he began his public ministry and did all the things that he did. In verse number 38, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, and this is pointing to his humanity that as a man, he was not walking around in the power of God. He actually put his deity on hold. Was he still God? Yes. Could he speak and command the angels? Yes. Could he speak and raise the dead? Yes. But what he put on hold was the independent use of his power. And the only thing that he was willing to do for the entirety of his life was just whatever God instructed him to do. And that's why he was anointed, because he was walking as a man and he wanted to be guided by God in every decision from God. And so he was a human being. He went about doing good, And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What explains his life? What explains that he was always doing good? What explains that he had power spiritually? What explains that he was destroying the works of the devil in whatever community that he went into? What explains that? The thing that explains it was because God was with him. And so we have somehow gotten the train off the tracks. Here's what we believe now. We believe that God can be with a person and they accomplish nothing. We believe that God can be with a group of people and their community doesn't change. We believe that God can be with us and there be no evidence that he's with us. We just go through life and we're just like everybody else. We're just doing our nine-to-five job and we're just watching TV in the evenings and we're just... If God is in your life, there's supposed to be some evidence that God is there. If God is in your life, there's supposed to be some power that is seen, that there's supposed to be a difference that God is making through your life. So let me ask you a question. How many people have you done good for this year, specifically in the name of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you another question. How many people has God used you to bring into his kingdom this year? Let me ask you another question. How many people are you praying for God to be reached through you this year? Okay, let me ask you this way. If we ask you to come and to share with us what the evidence is that God is working in your life, what is it that you would come up here and you would say to us, here is how God is working through me, reaching people, helping the community, making a difference in my church. Here is how God is working through me. Here is the evidence that he's even inside me. What would you tell us? This is what a life is supposed to look like with God on the inside, going about, doing good, destroying the works of the enemy and bringing people to Christ. So, the response to some people would be this. Well, let me tell you, I know that God's in me. Well, you sure are shutting him down, because I can't tell, I can't see. Nobody can see the power of God working through you. Where's the power? How is his power being shut down? The Apostle Paul said in the last days there are going to be a lot of people who have an appearance of godliness but are denying the power. So, where's the evidence of the power? You all know that Jesus, a part of his coming, was that, yes, he was going to live life in our place, but I'm sure you know that he's also our example. And that's exactly what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that he's our example. He exemplifies what a life looks like that has the power of God. So you're saying that you're so powerful that you can shut God down in your life. Are you sure you're shutting him down and not that he's just not there anyway? Oh, he's there, and I am flat out shutting him down. You want to brag about that? Because the norm for the child of God who has God living on the inside is that the power of God flows through them, and things are happening through those individuals. They're kingdom builders. That's who they are. Tell me about what God is doing through you. Um, Well, you know, I'm shutting him down at work, and I'm shutting him down in the community. Um, Well, well, tell me what he's doing through you in this safe place, because here at the church, we all believe the same stuff, and people are not offended by you believing in Jesus and He's the only way. And so, tell me what you're doing at the easiest place in the world which is your church. Oh, (laughs) I'm barely at church. A lot of Sundays, I'm not even there. When I am there, I have nothing that I'm responsible for. I have no job, no assignment. There is nothing that I'm engaged in, even at the church, where it's safe, where I can demonstrate that God is in my life. Or, yeah, I got this little bitty job at church. I don't really take it seriously. I'm not trying to get any better at it, I'm not trying to do anything to improve it. I'm just there, just kind of like going through the motion and just doing this little mediocre job for God. He lived a real life. He devoted the entirety of his human existence to living for you. So the only thing that's fair is for us to devote our life to living for him. But a lot of people who claim to be doing that are living life for themselves. They are sitting pretty. Everything's about them. It's not about Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I'm devoting my life to him. Everything that I do, it's about him. Uh, I've just devoted my life to just living for him. That's what I do. It's the only fair thing to do. It's for us to live for Christ. Living like him, living for him. I want to tell you something. There is no way to do it and not be fishers of men. I'm living for Jesus. You're fishing for men. Then you are a liar. You are not living for Jesus. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're not living for Jesus if you're not fishing for men. And that's not me saying it, that's what he said. He says in verse 39, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. What does he switch from the land of the Jews specifically to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem was the seat of power. It was the seat of their shallow religion. It was the seat of their politics. He spoke truth to power. Like in his culture, there were the people who said, hey, if she burns that toast, (laughs) get rid of that chick. You got a right to do that. In his culture, there were people who said, women, nah, they're not equal to men. (laughs) They're a lesser class. Jesus, the great equalizer, everywhere he goes, he exalts women to be equal to men. Yeah, he still calls the men to be the leader. But he calls them to lead as equals, not as lords, like it was in their culture He spoke truth to his culture. He spoke truth to power. I don't wanna talk about homosexuality because it may offend somebody. Jesus sure talked about it. I don't wanna talk about hot button issues. Jesus sure did. Christians don't talk anymore, and so the world is left to set its own agenda because we don't want to be salt. Salt irritates. We don't want to be light. Light irritates people in darkness. The reason he switches from the land of the Jews, Judea, to Jerusalem was to say that Jesus spoke truth to power. How did his life end? They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. The Bible does want us to know that Jesus really was dead, dead. It wasn't that he fainted. It wasn't that he swooned. It wasn't that he was in a coma. He was dead, dead, dead. And That's why the Bible talks about water and blood streaming out his side. That water and blood, that was like the white blood cells being separated from the red blood cells, which is a sure indication of you're dead. Because that's what happens after death. Your white blood cells and your red blood cells, they separate from each other. The Bible wanted us to know that he was dead, that he paid for the sins of the world. He was committed to you to the point of death. (laughs) Not... A hospice death where you have morphine administered to you, not in a hospital with medical attendants and a soft pillow and warm cover. He was committed to you so much that he died in the worst possible way. Do you know why crucifixion was the way that the Jews executed criminals. Do you know why? Because it was the most excruciating, painful, difficult way to die that they could come up with. That's why. The Phoenicians invented it and the Romans, they took it and perfected it like we can make this last for three, four days of somebody dying in agony. It was the worst form of punishment they could come up with was crucifixion. And what he said to us was this, I'm committed to you so much that I am willing to die in the worst possible way for you. Not just die, but in the most agonizing way that is known to man, I'll die in that fashion. Getting burned to death a crucifixion is worse. Drowning? Crucifixion is worse. Getting beaten to death? Crucifixion is worse. They beat you and then crucify you. And it's not in some back alley where your loved ones can't see you. It's out on a public road where your enemies, your friends, your mama, everybody you know the people you went to school with, they all come by and look at you there, almost totally naked, all beaten up and bloodied, and people insulting you, and it's just a bloody mess. It's like the most embarrassing, the most in, uh, undignified way to die. But he said, For you, I'll do it. I'll do it. Didn't I say that he is God the Son? How does man, who depends on God for every breath, every heartbeat, how does man kill God? There's only one way. If God volunteers, if God volunteers, his life wasn't taken, it was a gift to you. An unbelievable gift. I would never ask someone to die like that for me but he did voluntarily we don't want to be uncomfortable we don't want to be rejected we don't want to risk our peer network we don't want to risk our cousins talking about us after all that he's done I want heaven on a bed of roses. I want no suffering, no sacrifice. I just want every day to be cake and steak. If that's what you signed up for, you signed up for the wrong Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, if anybody comes to you preaching another Jesus, let him be accursed. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people, they're hooked up to the wrong Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible bears the cross. And he says, the one who does not take up his cross and come after me, Cannot be my disciple. Did you pick up the cross? Do you know what it means to pick up the cross? It means you're going to Calvary. It means you signed up to be crucified. It means you signed up for the hard stuff. Some of us signed up with a Jesus that has no cross. I fear for your judgment day. if you got the easy bless me Jesus let me live my best life now Jesus if that's the one you got you're not ready to stand before the crucified risen Lord and have him judge your life because all that he can say to you is there's nothing here there's nothing here Why did he do all that stuff? Why was he willing to die? Because God was with him. If you don't have any evidence that God is with you, if nobody can tell that he lives inside you, if people have to try to figure out, is this person really born again? Something is dreadfully wrong. Um, Is there a way for us to do a nuclear explosion and there be no evidence? We keep it secret, nobody knows about it, but we exploded a nuclear bomb. No, there's plenty of evidence There's plenty of power that cannot be hidden. And so it is with God living inside us. There's evidence when our relationship is real. The power of God living on the inside of us. It's a lot bigger than a nuclear explosion. You don't get a nuclear explosion and there be no consequence. We have these people who have God on the inside, there's no evidence, there's no consequence. Something's wrong with that picture. If you're following Jesus, you're a fisher of men. If you're not a fisher of men, you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. You got the wrong guy. Let's pray, shall we? I pray, dear God, that you would help us to understand this one truth, that our earthly lives is just a moment of our eternal experience. These lives are not long. You said it's like a vapor that just disappears in almost an instant. Life just zooms by. Help us, dear God, to know that this life is short, that it's just a moment, that it's just an opportunity for us to either commit ourselves totally, fully, completely to God Or it's a moment that you have given us if we choose to just turn our backs on you and serve ourselves. Oh, but this moment, this choice that we make has eternal implications. You called us to spend our lives being fishers of men. You called us to a life that Will bring suffering pray that you would help us dear God to make the right choice that we have this momentary light affliction so that we can enjoy eternal glory and the approval of our God I pray that you would give us truth in the name of Jesus We ask, O God, have your way with us. Amen.